Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Tom Curtin won Golden Guitars in 2018 for his song Never Never Land, which was on his third album, Territory Time. He released his fourth album, We're Still Here, in 2019, and his fifth, Nothing's Going to Stop Us, last year. Tom runs the Catherine Outback Experience in Catherine and the Northern Territory, and it was awarded gold and silver in 2021 and 2022, respectively, for the best tourist attraction at the Australian Tourism Awards. But he also takes the show on the road several months of the year and we'll be doing so again from October this year. So I have music to talk to Tom about. I have Catherine Outback experience. Lots of things. Hi, Tom. Hi there. How are you going? I'm very well, thank you. I'm going to um, actually tie one of your songs into uh, Catherine. By, one of the singles from Nothing's Going to Stop Us was Why We Live Out Here. What is the story of how you came to live in Catherine? Well, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I suppose... As a kid down at, I uh, grew up on a farm down near Kingaroy in Queensland, mum and dad and four brothers, and I'd seen on the TV all about the Northern Territory cattle stations. And so ever since I was a kid, grade six, I just wanted to get up here and get amongst it. You know, there's helicopters and bull catchers and wide open spaces. And so, yeah, it always had been, uh, from a young age, I just wanted to get up here and, yeah, I tried to overcome um school and get out after grade seven but mum and dad tracked me down and told me to pull my head in and get back to work um I then went off to boarding school and um yeah and then I said right I'm going and mum and dad said no no you've got to get a trade or a degree before you go so I managed to get a uh, three-year degree in beef cattle at Gatton College near Toowoomba Mm -hmm. and uh yeah got that and said here mum um whack it in a frame and go put it on your wall because I'm going so I eventually got up here about, yeah, 2001. I went out to a cattle station about 10 hours south of Darwin. Um, I think it had about 20,000 breed of Brahmin cattle. But, um, yeah, there was helicopters and bull catchers and um, horses and working dogs. And, um, yeah, it was up here that I sort of, um, yeah, I was living out of a swag every night um, and then on the back of a horse each day. And then it was while I was on those horses that, for some reason, the, I began to write a lot of songs and I'd never written a song before in my life, but this old guy gave me an old guitar, showed me three chords and sort of all went from there, really. Um, yeah, so it's, the territory has had a major impact on the songwriting and, and what we do up here. Yeah, and you're, you're telling your story of, of how you wanted to go to the Territory does remind me of um, the story of Bill Tapp, who ran Kalani Station, because he read, read Eon Idris's Cattle King when he was at school um, in Sydney and decided, much like you thought, that's the life I want. He's like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to run a cattle station and upended his entire life to do it. But I do love the detail about you saying <laughs> year seven, your mum and dad tracked you down. Like, <laughs> obviously, even at that age, you're just like, whoop, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, I sort of packed up a swag and started walking down the track, you know, <laughs> tracks about a kilometre to the main road and then they um, they found me down there and, and sort of quizzed me a bit, but um, yeah, um, politely told me to get back and uh, get on with it, you know. So, um, but no, it was really good. I was always outdoorsy, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, and eventually, yeah, coming to the territory, I yeah, we I met up with um, Bill Tapp's sons, mm-hmm. um, Camp Draft, and 
up here. So um, yeah, it's been a fun ride, right? Yeah, so those who don't know the TAP family, there are 10 TAP children and they they get around doing various things. Um, so you obviously were an adventurous kid because um, you you started having adventures and and I guess writing songs is an adventure of the imagination, just to tie that in there. So when you, and, and obviously when you were given that guitar, you didn't look at it and think, ah, I'm not going to do anything with that. You actually saw an opportunity. So I'm I'm getting this theme throughout your life that actually you you will take chances. You will not say no to things if opportunities are presented to you. Yeah, I think that's right. I think um, yeah, I was still very cautious. I think the only reason really I was at the, on a horse at the front of this mob. There's about two thousand head of cattle behind me, and the wind was blowing all day. We had to walk twenty k. And there's about three other people on the on the tail of the mob, probably about 500 metres back, and there's a couple on the wings to keep the mob together. Mm-hmm. And by the time we got to the um, yards that afternoon, they said, hey, Tom, what's that song you've been singing? And I just denied it and said, oh, nothing, mate, nothing. And, and because they're pretty hard up out there for entertainment because each night you're sitting around a campfire, there's no TV, radio, or phone, you're sort of in the stock camp. So they kept at me and eventually I had to sing it without the guitar, this song that I'd written. And um, it all went from there. And then it, um, you know, so those people in, that I was working with really persuaded me to keep going. And then eventually, yeah, into a singing contest. And then, yeah, met Sarah Stora and then on the road with her. And even that, I was, I think I remember singing at Tamworth, Blazers, Leagues Club, you know, 1,000 people. <clears throat> Had to sing four songs sitting on a chair just by myself. It was the most terrifying thing I've ever encountered. <laughs> and after it, I just said, you know, because you've got to think about uh, still learning. So I only knew three chords and I had to sing four of my songs, remember the words, remember where my fingers were going, act like I'm enjoying the whole process and people are mm-hmm. there sort of analysing me. There's sort of a bit of redneck coming out of the territory, you know, and so... After I said, aside, mate, thanks, but I'm getting out of here. There's too much pressure. But she mm-hmm. said, no, no, look, you just got to keep going. And I think it'll get easier. And, and she was right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still a lot of work, but it was um, throwing yourself into that pressure zone and then trying to somehow use strategies to manage it all to keep going. Yeah. I mean, one would think that actually the work you were already doing was a high pressure zone because it's a lot of, you know, they're hard days, yeah, controlling cattle, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it sounds like compared with performing in, with an audience in Sydney right there, it was, you know, cattle were easier. Yeah, I think it's just two two different worlds because mm-hmm. most of my life I'd been grew up on a farm with horses, cattle, and, and I sort of was used to a bit of that life. And then... Um, yeah, this, and then I went out contract horse breaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of the time I was going from cattle station to cattle station three every three weeks on another cattle station. And my day would be, I'd be just in this round yard working with 10 or 14 pretty wild horses, but it was just me and the horse. And so right. I didn't have to talk to many people or, you know, it was just hard work, but very chilled. Mm-hmm. And so through into that it's just a whole different mindset and you're physically after playing four songs on stage it feels like you've played a game of footy you know it's yeah. just 
So when you did start writing songs, though, and started singing um, uh, during your working day, I imagine that didn't come from nowhere. You must have grown up um, with some music and, and been influenced by some music. So what did you like to listen to when you were younger? Um, well, Dad was always into um, John Denver and um, the Beatles and a bit of uh, John Williamson, Graham Connors, growing up, Lee Kernigan. And um, and he was a bit of a singer himself in musicals. And so he got us into, I've got four other brothers, so we are all um, had to do piano lessons. And so we got up to like grade five, I think, piano lessons. And, um, yeah, so they're all sort of pretty musical. Some of my brothers weren't so into it. They'd sort of record their practice on an old cassette player and then just chill out reading a book while they're playing. So dad thought they were practising and they actually weren't. They're pretty cunning. So, um, yeah, but it all went from there. And um, my older brother, he was very academically very smart. So he applied for the boarding school and won an academic scholarship. And I tried out two years later, um, missed out miserably on the academic thing, but I tried out for the music one and I got half my fees covered. So that's how I got into Maris College at Ashgrove in Brisbane for boarding school. So and I had to learn the trumpet and the trombone and a bit more of the piano as part of that deal. Um, but other than that, um, I suppose about grade five, back in primary school, did a little musical on Mary Poppins and right. um, it gave me the little boy role, you know. I've sung right. a few songs there. But that's okay. about the extent of so actually your your upbringing was saturated in music because you're a multi-instrumentalist by training. Um, but when you were saying that you and your brothers were all learning piano, I was thinking, how did they all fit in the practice? But you answered the question. Some of them recorded it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to have that. Dad was pretty strict. You had sort of 20 minutes or 25 minutes each and um, he'd file in one by one into the dining room, do your thing and get out. But, um, yeah, it was. And we didn't really know until the music teacher realised that two of my brothers weren't improving at all and they're actually going backwards. And then we started to figure it out what they were yeah. doing. Yeah. Yeah, right. So out of the instruments you learnt, did you have a favourite? Or is guitar your favourite now? Um, I think probably guitar is probably the favourite, but um, just because it's easy, um, you can cart it anywhere and whip it out and rent a campfire or anything. But um, I was just saying the other day that I do love the piano and I'm going to get back. I just bought a keyboard the other day, so I'm going to write a few more things and um, on the keyboard. But mm-hmm. I um, I think the only regret, I wish I, you know, as a kid, were learning Bach and Beethoven and, you know, getting it hammered into us. And mm-hmm. But I think if we were doing a bit more, you know, Billy Joel or some yeah. songs or also singing, we could have actually, you know, tweaked it a little. But it's... Um, you know, you live and learn, and I'm I'm keen to get back into it and get a spare time and, um, yeah, start writing a few on the keyboard, you know? Yeah, right. Well, I think your parents missed a trick. They could have had a family band, five of you playing instruments. <laughs> yeah, they nearly could have. If it was a few more honest brothers that did their <laughs> part yeah, practising, they right. could have made it. <laughs> and you mentioned you can play the guitar anywhere. You, in fact, can play your guitar on horseback because I've seen photos of you playing and singing on horseback. The first thing I thought when I saw it was, I wonder if there's a particular breed of horse that's actually better for that, like whether it's a stock horse or a quarter horse or something that's actually a bit more stable um, for you to play and sing on the back of. Yeah, well, I think um, what I've learned is 
every horse has got a different conformation. So some have got a short neck and a long back, or a, others have got a sh long neck and a short back, which seem to be a lot more comfortable. They've got a nice slope on the shoulder, so they're taking nice strides, which when you get faster into the canter, it mm -hmm. becomes a nice lope. And so it's easier to play with the guitar um, mm -hmm. in that way. But certainly, yeah, every day we used to get four horses um, every three months out on the stock camp mustering cattle different types and builds and hops and humbeat and so there'll be different um, grooves coming to me each day which was really cool because I, I got different feels of right. um, to begin writing with if that makes sense now we'll come back to the music but I do want to ask you about uh Catherine Outback experience which is your creation when did you start running it yeah, well, I suppose I was doing a lot of contract horse breaking all through the Northern Territory in Queensland. Um, and, yeah, I bought a little place because my brother, one of my brothers, um, lives next door here, the cassette guy that cheats on the piano. He lives next door to me. And I asked him if I could give him a few beers for rent, if I could set up portable yards on his place okay. to get all the cattle stations to send the horses in here. And that started to work. I met an old bloke who lived on this place and does... Um, yeah, so he gave me a good deal um, here and it was going really well until about 2011 uh, when the live beef export ban hit and mm -hmm. all the budgets were cut on the cattle stations. They couldn't afford any horse trainers. Mm -hmm. I was doing about 150 horses a year um, and then overnight it just collapsed and I was sort of out of work. So I um, went singing at the caravan park, St. Catherine, four nights a week. Mm -hmm. And those people said, hey, can we come and see what you're doing each day, training horses and dogs? And so right. we started about 10 years ago underneath the tree at the back. Uh, no one came to the first show, which felt pretty good. Uh, but I was doing three shows a week and honestly only one or two people would come because we didn't know much about the Facebook or marketing and a lot of my mates would just drive around when there's no one there and just rub it in and say, just give up, mate, it's never going to work. But there's just something inside me, I had a gut feeling that if I made it interesting enough about the training, the mm -hmm. dogs, the horses, uh, the combination of a few stories and songs, hopefully we could make it interesting enough that would attract more people. And so, um, yeah, I just kept asking people, doing the best possible show for the one or two people and said, look, can you go tell another two people about it? Mm -hmm. And initially that's how it started back in, I think it was 2013. It's been going 10 years this year. I imagine you took a bit of a hit during the pandemic, even though the territory was not as closed as the rest of the country, you wouldn't have had the tourism that you were used to. That's right. Yeah, we had to diversify a lot. Um, tourism still shut down here. And, um, yeah, we, were, we built it up to about 13 to 15 shows a week with buses and the GAN train and school camps and everything. Yeah. So, again, that was all closed. <clears throat> and um, so, yeah, we started up a horse riding school um, mm. with locals around Catherine for kids, um, problem horses. So went full-time back training horses for a lot of um, cattle stations as well where they could just drop horses off and go. And then mm -hmm. I'd have six weeks. I wouldn't have to see anyone. Um, yeah. And then we also devo um, developed a farm therapy program. So we started with special needs kids, indigenous kids, mm -hmm. and kids to pick up their school attendance records. They're allowed to come out horse riding, uh, washing horses, dogs, painting horses, and um, develop programs that would um, really enhance 
um, you know, autistic kids and things like that as well. So it uh, just had to think outside the box and we still have those programs running now, but um, I can see the benefits in it, what it does for kids. And um, yeah, so it, um, yeah, it's really sort of changed the outlook really on how it all yeah. works. So I guess, yes, it was, it ended up being a good thing for you, but partly because you reacted pretty quickly by the sound of it to what was changing around you at that time. Oh, yeah, it was still terrifying because, um, you know, we went through, um, we didn't know where the income was coming from. We've got massive um, overheads with staff and things like that. So, um, yeah, but we just went through our bank statements and just just said whatever is a luxury. Netflix, for instance, we just cut uh, a lot of these things. We just went through and cut um, that we didn't need, tried to cut our electricity right down and um, went back to basics and, I think we became a bit tighter as a family, but then also <clears throat> we had a few evenings because a lot of the time here we're working seven days a week, sometimes three shows a day. So, yeah, um, into the dark. But what we found with, with no shows, we could actually catch up with a few mates around town after the pandemic settled down yeah. and had these cook-offs with um, camp oven dinners and who could do the best camp ovens and all this stuff. So it was yeah. really cool in that sense, to catch up with everyone around here. Now, for people who can't get to Catherine, as I mentioned at the top, you do take the show on the road. And logistically, this sounds wild to me because you take animals with you. I'm wondering how many you take and how much planning it takes to take the Catherine Outback experience on the road. Yeah, well, um, I suppose we take about 10 horses, 12 dogs, three goats, a couple of kids, musos a couple of grey nomads right. and a few others. So it was about eight of us, eight or ten of us, um, people on the road. And, um, yeah, it's pretty full on. We do. We just finished a six-month tour, over 70 shows from Catherine to Cairns to Tassie to South Australia. Yeah. So, <coughs> pardon me. Yeah, and as we speak, I just, um, I think we're doing another one mid-October we go again so I've locked in about 63 shows out of 66 so um hopefully try to use observation so um we're really big on analyzing the heck out of animal behavior there is the horses is how they carry themselves mm-hmm. Um, you know, the expression in their eyes. We tell this a lot in their shows as well. And um, and then we sell them to farmers all around the country um, to work sheep or cattle um, down the track. So it's not really a polished show. It's sort of every show is different. And I think that's it's real and raw, and that's why people sort of connect to it. And also you're avoiding the wet season because you're leaving in yeah. the It does warm up. The humidity goes through the roof mid-October. So yeah, we try to get out and, um, yeah, have a working holiday as well. Yeah, because as everyone says, the build-up is worse than the wet season. Um, so I find that your music um, complements the Catherine Outback experience or what I'm at because I haven't seen your show live, but that idea of, of, you know, you're providing almost a soundtrack for the life that you are living, but also the life, the lifestyle that, that you're showing in the experience. I'm wondering if you actually see it as a continuum that you're making music for your Catherine Outback experience audience, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I suppose I haven't really even thought of that. I just, um, I love, we love traveling. We love meeting a lot of people here that come to Catherine to see our show and things. And I suppose even when I first started singing around the campfire, um, I was listening to one of the first songs I wrote was about a windmill song where one bloke bet another fella 50 bucks a climb on a windmill. And that happened in the stock camp. And I just wrote a song about it because it was real, pretty funny. And I wanted to make sure it clicked with those 10 blokes I was working with around the campfire. Right. So even now I'm listening for songs or a line to a song, but when we write them, um, yeah, I've got to make sure I go back to that campfire that we originally started and say, hey, now with these guys, um think this song is you know realistic and authentic or would they think no no you're getting too far away from your your seams you know so yeah I think you got to stay true to yourself you got to even the film clips I'm very passionate about making sure the film clip matches up with what we're talking about Mm -hmm. and um, I do take a lot of time editing them uh sometimes 3 30 in the morning just get up get into it and then you know making sure that you know, because I am passionate about it and mm-hmm. hopefully it all sort of rubs off, you know, whichever way mm-hmm. people look at it. But that's another skill set you've developed, making your own videos. Yeah, well, I never, you know, I've had a lot of help with, um, because they're always on the road, different places, mm-hmm. towns, and you can't just fly in um, the film guy that you normally use because he might be tied up. So, uh, for instance, we're going through South Australia the other day on tour. I think it must have been February or March and went past a big pink salt lake mm-hmm. and we hadn't had a film clip for this song. I said, man, wouldn't it be cool because I drive the truck and you got a good view. So wouldn't it be cool if we got some dancers to dance on the salt lake and a drone and a film guy and I just get out there and just see what it looks like. I reckon in the afternoon light would really be pretty cool. And I told that to the rest of the crew, the tour crew, and they just laughed at me. I said, don't be ridiculous. That's That's absurd. Anyway, I just got on, Googled it, right, let's go. I reckon this will work. Got on to the dance guys and then, um, yeah, got them all to come. <clears throat> and just the day before, they'd done a couple of rehearsals and they showed me. I said, yeah, pretty cool. But the male dancer twisted his ankle. And so we had to get another male dancer in who really knew nothing about it. And so he was panicking about the routine. But um, I said, mate, you just got to cut it right down. We'll just take three or four second shots of you doing a little routine then you can learn the next bit on the run and then we'll shoot that little three or four seconds and add them all together and there's no pressure on you and he was quite relieved and you know so it's I think it's juggling the the people and mm-hmm. how they're going with things and reading their behavior as well as you know mm-hmm. I've got it from the horse side of thing got to be observant I feel and pick yeah. up on their vibes and try to get the best out of people and also when you deliver the message, it's got to ring true so that people can actually, you know, feel what you're talking about. Yeah, and I guess it all points to you having that bigger view, actually, that it is about delivering the message, whether it's making the video, whether it's Catherine Outback experience, whether it's recording your song or writing the song originally, you're wanting to communicate stories and experiences to people. It's just you have a, a range of ways of doing it. Yeah, that's right. Even when we started Catherine Outback, I called it Catherine Outback because I didn't want to be called Tom Curtin because even now we've got three other girls in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I still do a bit 
and I'm still trying the heck out of them because they're very keen. They want to learn how to train horses and dogs and deliver the message. Mm-hmm. And so I'm working with them each day and building their confidence and um, matching them to different horses and dogs that would suit their personalities to get the best message across to the people. Mm-hmm. So it's all, um, yeah, I love, I love training. I love, that's right, we're here to educate people. Um, there's a lot of farmers out there that are training dogs and horses in a nice, safe, calm manner. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't get to see that just driving up the bitumen. So we've become a bit of a destination where we can actually, you know, give people a hands-on experience, but also educate people on what uh, a lot of farm, farmers or pastoralists are doing mm-hmm. Australia-wide all around. Yeah. Now, the song I mentioned earlier, Why We Live Out Here, was written with Garth Porter and Matt Scullion. And Garth has been your longtime producer. How did you start working with him? Yeah, well, I think I managed to win a singing contest up near Adelaide River, got me down to Tamworth, um, and we went to that um, Academy of Country Music. Um, I think it's 10 or 12 up-and-coming artists get there two weeks before Tamworth. And I think the previous year, Mark Noakes was there, who was also my horse breaker that taught me the guitar. And before him was Sarah Stora that came from Kelkaringi School, which is just... Um, 60Ks east of the station I was working on. So Garth already had an ear for who's coming out next. So then we met, I wrote a song with Becky Cole uh, at the college um, called Drink Droven, where this fella goes out mustering up this sheep and he gets drunker and drunker on the back of a, um, we had these saddlebags full of beers and he had hiccups and everything. And and Becky was amazing at the college to help because, oh, again, I was just terrified. Yeah. Met Garth there and he was just being inspirational, just um, really down to earth, exceptional ears and muser and producer. And um, over the years, just kind of best mates, you know, we're talking at least once a week um, by email or phone, just about different ideas. And he's so passionate about the Australian stories or the Australian bush. And he's just been awesome to bounce ideas off and, um, you know, and still sort of pick the direction we're going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I imagine, given that you have been productive as a musician and you're productive otherwise, that you're already thinking ahead to your next album probably. So I'm wondering if you write better at home or when you're on the road, uh, as in the long tour on the road? Yeah, well, I suppose I've, I've really got to try to make time. So when I'm here in Catherine, I um, training horses. I, I try to really write a lot of songs on the back of a horse still. Um <laughs> and record it on my phone. I'm not sure if you're allowed to be on your phone while you're on a horse, but it works for me. Just record it, record a melody, and then I um, got my phone full of lists of ideas for songs that I hear people say. I've always got my ear listening for an expression or a saying or a story. And then um, or on tour in the truck. I go by myself in the truck. I pull the uh, caravan and my wife goes in the car with another couple of girls and the kids to help out there pulling the music trailer. And so, yeah, I've tried to put car seats for the kids in the truck, but we just can't do it. Apparently. <laughs> so yeah, I get a bit of quiet time and it really, I really make myself try to come up, turn the radio off and just try to, because I've got no other time by mm. myself, you know, that I can get that thinking space. Yeah. 
So, yes, I don't believe they've brought in any kind of mobile phone laws regarding horses, but who knows? Um, <laughs> I'm wondering if it's if it's the time, the fact that being on horseback gives you that opportunity, that clear headspace, or whether it's actually something about the movement that helps you write music, like it's almost like a meditative movement being on horseback, particularly because you're so used to it. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a combo. I think um, I remember my... Mum and dad said every time I was a little baby and they plugged me into the car seat in the car, I'd automatically just start singing as soon as that car started to go. Right. Um, and I suppose here, like if I'm training in the arena on a tough horse, it's a bit harder. If I'm cantering down the road on a horse that, uh, because every, basically every, on a young horse, I'm looking at their ears every four seconds because the ears of the horse tell us roughly what they're thinking, whether they're going to bark or take off. And you've got to be extremely careful of all that stuff. But if you've got a horse that's pretty settled, the ears just sort of go forward down the road and mm. it's chill out time. So you can sort of switch and just get into the groove of things. But as soon as one of those ears start, you know, looking if a kangaroo jumps out or something, it's, um, yeah, you got to hang on for all your life and you got to, yeah, reset your mindset. Yeah. Well, I do, you know, your music um, is really uplifting, I think, as part of it. And I don't think it's necessarily because the lyrics are uplifting. It's more that I get the sense that you just really love doing that. You love recording. Yeah, like you love performing the songs. And I'm sure it's the same experience live. But when you get into a studio, I also imagine you have to plan that very carefully with your life. When you get into the studio, do you enjoy that experience? Yeah, I do. I do. Um... <clears throat> Yeah, we, we sort of, yeah, I sort of try to write about 40 songs before we get to the studio and Garth has a major impact in that, like sifting through songs with me and picking out the best 10, for instance. We get in there and, um, yeah, just to see all the musos come to life or bring the songs to life, you know, and we sort of, <clears throat> it's sort of like, um, you know, you put a, I don't know if this is relatable, but you put a, a young dog into a mob of sheep and some some little pups will just look at it and sort of run out of the yard. Some will go, mm. oh, I have a bit of a look, and then some will, the sheep will move and sometimes the little pup will sort of run around and his instinct comes out and starts to work. And it's the same with a muse. And instead of saying, look, this is what we want you to do, we say, here's a rough idea of me playing it on the guitar. What do you guys reckon? <clears throat> have a go, have a go, have a go. And they might have five or six run-throughs of their feel and uh, then we go, oh, I reckon, yeah, that sounds really awesome, mate. Let's go with that feel. You know what I mean? So it's it's sort of letting them have the liberty of seeing where their imagination or creativity goes. Mm -hmm. And then we can sort of just guide it back whichever which way we want. And um, But I think, again, it's sort of letting them go and <clears throat> phenomenal how these songs just start to bubble and, <clears throat> and create, you know. So it's, a, it's an absolutely inspiring process. Yeah. Well, Tom, I could keep talking to you for hours because I'm sure there are many more stories, but I'm talking to you at the end of a long working day for you. So I'm going to let you go. But it was so interesting to talk to you and find out more about your music and about the Catherine Outback experience. The tour dates will be announced soon. People can look at your website and I'm sure they will come from far and wide to see you. No, that's all right. Thanks so much for your help and support. And, um, yeah, I might see you out on the road somewhere. That'd be hey, great. Thanks, Tom. Cheers. 
Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.